Hello and welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. My name is Jimmy McLaughlin and up until last year I was advising the Prime Minister on business specialising in entrepreneurship and technology. This podcast is designed to recreate a Prime Ministerial style briefing, distilling key points from half an hour interviews with entrepreneurs, specifically asking them about where the jobs of the future are coming from. With jobs and careers becoming one of the biggest topics of 2020, this podcast is designed to bring those conversations to a wider audience. Whether you are just starting out on your career, transitioning, or even a bit longer in the tooth, I hope you'll find these conversations thought-provoking about where our economy is going. Every podcast asks, but please rate us, share us on social media at Jimmy's Jobs, or even be old-fashioned and tell a friend down the pub about it. Onwards to today's episode. I'm here with Pip Jameson. I first met Pip when she was presenting the dots to a room full of Silicon Valley investors at Kensington Palace, which will be a pretty daunting experience for most. And Pip was pitching how the dots was going to be the LinkedIn for no-collar workers. This was particularly impressive and gutsy, bearing in mind that Reid Hoffman was in the audience, the founder of LinkedIn. So Pip, welcome to today's show. It's great to have you on board. I just wondered if you could sort of start a little bit by telling us your story. You were head of marketing for MTV in New Zealand, which is a pretty cool job. But since then, you've created this phenomenon of the dots and it'd be great if you could just talk us through it. Yeah, so I actually started my career. I studied maths and economics at uni and I started my career actually as a fast stream civil service for the government. Um, And yeah, I joined government because I kind of had aspirations to make the world a better place and to be honest I found it a little frustrating I I, I move a little too fast for government so I then spent most of my career I guess as a no-collar worker which is the community that we look after and it was while I was working at MTV I realized me and my friends were just working in a really different way than that kind of traditional white-collar suited LinkedIn way of work so The people that I was surrounded with, their careers were a lot more kind of um, fluid. So they weren't necessarily just doing full-time roles. They were freelancing. They were doing side hustles. They were starting their own businesses. But I think on a deeper level, the community I was surrounded with were valuing other things than just money. Um, Now, money is so important. We have to all feed ourselves. But they actually wanted to have purpose and meaning in their work. Um, They wanted to learn in their job. They wanted to feel valued. And so there were other kind of things around that career. And really, at the time, LinkedIn was the only game in town for professional networking. So I'm that kind of mental female founder who went, I've got an idea and I'm going to take on LinkedIn. And I guess the rest is history. Absolutely. And it's such like an amazing platform where people can go on and sort of do their different passions of what really drives them. So you can do a full time job nine to five and be doing that. But actually, you can go on the dots and sort of do what what your passions are about, aren't aren't they? I mean, can you just talk us through some of the professions that you now have on the website? Yeah, I mean, it's really anyone that creates something. So the way the community works is instead of promoting yourself via a CV, which is like that traditional LinkedIn way, um, people post projects and then credit the full team that helped deliver that project. So a project could be an app, and this is the UI designer, this is the front-end engineer, this is the back-end engineer, this is the head of data, or it could be a magazine and this is the full editorial team. So in essence, we're like a living wiki of what people are doing and the full teams around 
those projects and that's how people promote themselves but the way we kind of bring them value is we help connect them to jobs so we have over 10,000 companies that now use us to hire which spans everything from you know the tech industry to film fashion advertising media basically everything apart from finance (laughs) Um, the jobs of the future I like to say Um, and we help our community also upskill with the skills of the future um, and then connect and collaborate and get help, advice and support on anything they need to do. So, yeah, it's a professional network, but it's just built for the modern generation. If you like the artwork on Jimmy's Jobs, it comes from one of um, Pip's members on the dots, a chap called George Cleland Dick, who I said I'd give credit for because I think it's brilliant. Um, Over the last kind of six months, everyone's working patterns have changed. What have you seen on the dots that kind of rich data that you get through what jobs have been surging who's been joining just talk us through a little bit yeah it's been super interesting for us because obviously a lot of our community were hit very hard so we've got over half a million members about 41 percent of them are freelance so they were hit quite early on even before lockdown but they are exciting trends while we're seeing that the average number of applicants per role on the dots has increased so there's more competition um, for actual roles where we've seen massive growth areas is remote jobs going through the roof um, which I get really excited about because it means that you could work in any place in the world for any company in the world and you know we've seen massive trends like Twitter's one of our clients you know they've moved remote first and I love that so now our community has access to jobs wherever they are um, which I think also makes it more accessible you no longer have to necessarily work in London to get a job at a top company so that's a really exciting trend the other big trend we've seen is just obviously tech so anything tech related anything digital related and it's so funny because I spend my life kind of talking to our community about I think there's this perception that you have to code to work in tech but actually where we're seeing the massive growth in tech is tech businesses like Google or Depop or Netaporter hiring but they're hiring any roles you know they're they're hiring copywriter roles they're hiring mm. producer roles that your skills are so transferable into the tech industry that's kind of the change the change that we're seeing is people have to start thinking a bit more broader not being wedded to their industry but being open to move into tech which is where so many opportunities are right now well let's explore that a bit more in the later parts so pip when you think about jobs of the future, right, and three to five years' time, like you're one of the leading entrepreneurs in the UK in terms of the future of work and so on. Where do you see the growth areas for jobs of the future? Yeah, so I think one tech, but I think the most important thing with tech is one to recognise that you don't have to code to be and work in tech. Secondly, I think you can't be a code by rule engineer anymore. Like the trend we're seeing with engineer roles that are going up onto the dots is they're looking for creative thinkers, collaborative thinkers. So creativity as a skill set in its broadest sense of the word is an innate human thing that is actually one of the hardest things for us to automate um, that creative way, that creative way of thinking. Machines can't do that yet and won't be able to do it until quantum robotics. So it's very much thinking about tech is definitely there, but you have to have creative skill sets to thrive these days in tech. Um, the other thing that we're I'm kind of really excited about is the kind of more fluidity that is happening in the market. And this can scare people. And I mean, These days, it's an advantage to be a slashy 
right? We don't know what the future is going to bring. We don't know which... What, what does slashy mean? Slashy. <laughs> um, so slashy means like having multiple skills to your bow or multiple kind of career paths to your bow. So you could call it a multi-hyphen career or a slashy-based career or really in the old days, everyone was like, you become a specialist and you're that specialist in one thing. But the worrying thing about that when you look to the future, is that one thing could be automated. And actually, there's probably quite a high chance that one thing could be automated. So these days, what we're seeing is the companies we work with are looking for people who are more multi-skilled. Um, so whether you call that T-shaped people, where they have like one deep knowledge and a, and a multi-skill up the top. And the advantage for that is, say you are in a career path that is automated, you can then pivot into other career paths. And so it makes you more... Uh, I guess, immune to the automation that's coming. Um, so I think, you know, those old school career advisors that people got, which is like, let's be a special, you have to be, you know, choose something to do. Don't worry if you love lo loads of things, explore those multi things. Um, and I think the other trend is while freelancing is just a terrible thing to be doing right now, um, because you know, the challenge companies are having is they're trying to retain their current workforce and freelancers were the first to be let go. When I look to the future and the companies we work with, they are going to want to, or they are wanting to adopt a more kind of agile, flexible way of work. So I see freelancing in the long term booming as companies go right the burden of a massive full-time workforce is actually really problematic for us. So they look for more flexible ways of having team members. And particularly the growth of the side hustle is, is so important, right? Like you can do that sort of day-to-day -day job, but you can try other things. And there's loads of opportunities on the dots to kind of explore new things and work on lots of collaborations that you said. But you talk about sort of, and it, it does divide a little bit in terms of techies and, and creatives a little bit now let's say if you're a techie or a creative person what's the one thing that you could do to understand a bit more about the other kind of mindset so if you're a creative person what tech could you upskill on and if you're a techie person what creative skill could you up on and these could just be books or articles or anything really what's really important is firstly that both need each other mm. so i mean general assembly do amazing courses in terms of upskilling on digital skills so that's whether learning to code or doing digital marketing or anything digital related um, and we actually have a event section on the dots that has loads of different upskilling opportunities so they're really accessible to everyone not just the creatives on the dots, mm. but the whole wider platform as well. Another trend we're seeing is skill swap, which I love on the dots where people are saying, hey, I'm an engineer, but I'm looking to learn a bit more about UX design. So UX design is how things are kind of laid out or how it looks on the front end of a website. And so we're seeing a massive trend on skill swap. So advice I give to people is like, what is your core skill and what are you interested in learning? And then it's worth just posting that and saying, okay, my core skill is coding, but mm -hmm. I want to learn about branding or copywriting and start kind of coming together and actually teaching each other and learning from each other. That's so... Um Interesting and, and inspiring, really. And so, you know, even if you're, you know, an accountant, lawyer, finance, those non-traditional ones, you can go on the website because so often that's some of the skills that creative startups lack and post that and say, 
these are my skills I'm willing to you know offer kind of pro bono advice almost and they could offer skill swap back yeah yeah and I think that's the whole kind of difference between us and LinkedIn it's about collaboration as opposed to individualism so LinkedIn is all about this is my individual persona and I'm this perfect individual person but actually everything we do is a collaboration. If you're starting a business or a site up, you need business advice. Like I I have needed so much business advice as I've been growing this business. So that's in essence why we exist is to try and connect the dots between loads of different disciplines to make things actually come to life. And that's why I get really excited when I see our community going, okay, we're going to launch our side hustle on the dots and actually that side hustle is now thriving we're going to change this into a whole business and the whole way they can get advice and support and find other people to collaborate with to make that idea happen i mentioned this before but i found you know people to help with this podcast the artwork and so on um because i am not a creative person which those of you that know me will not be surprised by and it's been brilliant and you know george and i have spoken about lots of different ideas and like he's helped feed into the podcast as well and so it really is sort of mutually beneficial it's almost that kind of reverse mentoring that we're seeing quite a bit of yeah and funnily enough we actually skew our algorithm to be based on support and kindness um, for want of a better word, I guess. So I think what really frustrates me with tech platforms that exist today, like Twitter is just this horrible negative place to be and actually increasingly Instagram. But what we do on the dots is actually you come higher in search results if you're helpful to other people or if you ask a question that's helpful to other people. And so it reinforces that kind of collaboration and support and help for each other, which is kind of really nice to see. So we have quite a lovely, nice, kind community. I'd be the worst person to run Twitter. I would have deleted Trump years ago. (laughs) I'm not getting into that. (laughs) You talked about General Assembly for kind of technical skills, but what... You know, on the creative side, how can people sort of upskill? Because we all kind of intuitively engage with creativity in some form of another, even if we're just consumers of it. But how can you just understand a bit more of the sort of creative thought process, do you think? I mean, the, the reality is, as all humans are creative, that what that's what makes us different. Um, we're just all creative in different ways. You know, you might not identify as being creative but you are completely creative because you created this podcast and you came up with a whole idea and you came together where you recognize you were lacking on your skill set is you came up with a creative thought for the idea and creative thought for the project where you are you recognize you're lacking with i need branding support so i think it's recognizing where your core strengths are and remembering that everyone is creative i mean accountants can be creative maybe that's not a good thing <laughs> but everyone is creative the creativity is in essence just coming up with ideas and solving problems and so everyone is creative i think like engineers and are some of the most actually if not the most creative people i know because they are constantly having to solve problems and that is creativity so i i think firstly we just have to remember we're all creative and just embrace our creativity but also remember where our strengths and weaknesses are and so find people to supplement them totally i mean pip says it's a creative idea for this podcast but when i first pitched it to her she said brilliant idea good timing but really boring name i had initially called it careers council on the basis that it was about people needed careers council 
not careers advice. And she said, really boring name. So I worked with another entrepreneur to help me come up with a better brand name. So that's how we ended up with Jimmy's Jobs of the Future, which I hope is memorable. I should say it enough as well so that you uh, so that you bear it in mind. Um, and what if there was one piece of careers counsel that you could give people? So not advice, but what's been something that you tell other people? Because I bet you get approached for loads of uh, you know advice and counsel from people. What's the thing that you would say to people that stuck with you the most over the last few years? I think when it comes to entrepreneurship, and I'd recommend that as a career path for anyone who's listening right now, you know, there's nothing more satisfying than coming up with that original idea and seeing it through. I think when it comes to entrepreneurship, it's like, just do it. The amount of people I meet that say, oh, I've got this brilliant idea um, and are almost too scared to share that idea or just kind of jump in. um, I think it's really important. Um, Funny enough, It's also, you know, when you have an idea, bringing that community or those collaborators around you to bounce that idea off is really, really important. So I think it's made that first leap. Someone once said to me, oh, I had the idea for the dots. And I kind of was like, but I did it. (laughs) And so you just need to kind of do it. Um, And you only learn by doing, right? That's it. You know, because MySpace was the idea for Facebook before Facebook was, right? And it was execution of Facebook that made it happen right yeah and I mean the reality is as I'm a non-tech tech founder who started a tech business so I'm living proof that anyone can do it you have to build an amazing tech team around you to be able to pull it off but yeah it's just kind of go and do it but I think also it's getting over the fear is I think what's been sort of hardest for me and with a number of entrepreneurs I mentor um you know there's that innate fear fear of failure like what if I do this and it doesn't work and I think the moment I suddenly looked at that fear in a different way and I was like okay the people I love most in in my life if this failed would they still love me and of course they would they'd still they'd be so happy I gave it a shot so you know I just flipped that fear on the head and went well if people would you know said oh she failed well they're not nice people so once I got the failure out the way or the fear of failure out the way that's when kind of things get really exciting because then you just say yes to stuff and explore it and go for it and how did you go about sort of finding mentors and so on because you you talked a lot about you're building a team around you and yeah this stuff is is hard where did you go in the early days for kind of mentor inspiration yeah okay in the early days I was desperate to have like like female tech mentors, right? Which is really hard. Um, So to put it into context, you know, I'm a sole female founder, only 9% of angel funding, which is like that first round goes to female entrepreneurs Um, at my level, who've raised like 5 million or above, it's only 2.3%. So there just aren't that many around. So I was sending like these emails to, you know, Martha Lane Fox, who is, you know, the co-founder of um, lastminute.com and Sherry Kutu and go, oh, you know, I'm a female entrepreneur. I'd love you to be my mentor. And I got absolutely nothing back. And I was like, oh my God, how rude. Like I'm a female founder. You should be supporting. Um, And then suddenly what I realized is I get about 60 emails a week now from founders wanting my support and it's just physically impossible for me to support everyone and the problem is is there's just so few women at the top so I changed tact and I went right I'm gonna go after the best 
best founders or tech people in tech I know who are men who have daughters. And then everything changed. And then suddenly I was kind of punching way above my weight in terms of the mentors I was getting. So amazing people like Ben Grohl, who was a partner at Atomico and was a part of the original um, growth team at Facebook, who was suddenly wanting to see positive change in the industry and supporting me. So I now have like what I call probably a portfolio of mentors who advise on everything from raising investment to branding and design to tech to growth to anything I need and I sort of draw on them but they're primarily male unfortunately. (laughs) Brilliant that's such an inspiring kind of way to think about it is that you don't just need an individual mentor you need sort of a portfolio of people to help advise on different things. I think portfolio is more important because I think when I was starting out I was like oh there's going to be that one person who's going to solve all my problems but the reality is is the problems are so distinct you know it's like I need to raise investment I need to close around or I need to accelerate growth and so someone is never an expert in all of that so having a portfolio has been far more useful for different skills but also far more useful because if you're going for really high class mentors they're really busy Mm. and so they don't necessarily have time to catch up with you every couple of weeks or every month so what tends to happen with my mentors if I have a problem and need help I'll work intensively with them for a week and then I'll leave them in peace for a year and that's a much more effective use of time however I do also have a coach which is slightly different so the distinction I see between mentorship and coaches mentors are kind of they give me advice Mm. and my coach helps me find my inner voice for want of a better word um so I have an amazing coach who's based out of the valley who I um chat to once a month to talk through ideas and help me find the solutions that I know exist yeah, I mean, that's so interesting because I mean, look, I've written in the Times about the importance of career coaching and it's this massive sort of growing industry. And you're right, it's much more of an American idea in, in terms of talking to someone about it, but it is growing here in the in the UK. What are the benefits of having a career coach in the long term? I'm a self-founder, so it can be quite a lonely journey. Um, I do have an incredible executive team who I'm very open with, but at the same time, I do value I guess it is a bit like founder therapy where you can just talk completely openly and just talk through challenges yeah my my coach is an amazing guy called Ren you know he was coached to Marissa from Yahoo um, Cheryl Sandberg so you know he's been there and seen it and I think what is so useful is he has coached so many senior people in tech. He's seen the patterns and so he can help release things. So, you know, that coaching could be advice on books I should read or if I'm having a specific challenge, just talking it through and giving not not necessarily advice, but more helping me find the solution that's already in me. It literally is therapy and I, I actually quite love it. So when you're building the dots itself, rather than the kind of the the people on the platform, what are you looking for in the next six to 12 months? What are the skills that you're always short of when building the dots? Yeah, so it's definitely product skills. And what do I mean by product? The product is the dots. Um, But within our product team, like the core components of that team is engineering, so coding, but then product management, Mm -hmm. um, design, and then data. And so those are kind of the four golden skills that we're always looking for the best in the business. So, um, yeah, I'm constantly on a hunt. Yeah, we're, we're scaling. We're just closing around right now, which I'm sorry I can't talk about yet. <laughs> 
but um, but yeah, so we're literally scaling that whole side of the team. And I guess that's the kind of skill. But actually, we scream for values before mm. we ever get to skills interviews. So what do I mean by that? The most important thing I'm looking for is people that are a values fit for the business. Culture fit implies like someone that you want to go to the pub with, that you get on with, which tends to lead to homogenous hiring. You're hiring people very much in your own image, which is the absolute disaster for, you know, startups, scale ups, any business. You mm-hmm. know, diversity is the key to creativity and innovation. So we hire for values fit, not culture fit. And so the core values that we look for are collaboration, um, drive, diversity, because a lot of what we do with the dots is help um, democratize opportunities and have a diverse uh, community. And then positivity is probably my core one. And I'm not talking positivity for positivity's sake. What we're looking for is people that solve, always look to solve problems or not create problems. So it's very much around solutions, not problems-based thinking. Um, Because the worst thing when you're scaling anything is kind of politics, blame, Mm Um, and so, yeah, that's the core thing. And I actually do every first interview and right. I scream for values before we even let people into a skills interview. And actually, this is from mistakes I've made in the past where I've been wowed by someone's skill and gone, oh, they're amazing. Then we get to a values fit interview and realize they've fallen down on something and gone, oh, it'll be all right. I'll change them. You can't change someone's core values. I've learned that the hard way. So we always do the values fit screen before the skills fit. I don't care how good they are. If they're not going to be a fit for values, they don't make it into the business. Um, and without giving like too much of it away or whatever, like how, how do you do a value sort of test then, right? We don't, yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. So, you know, there's questions that we have. We have a whole series of questions to test against each of our values. So actually with, with positivity, one of the best questions to ask is how would your coworkers describe you? And then you just let them talk. And it's amazing what people say. And then follow up with how would your family describe you? And it's, you know, I've had everything from argumentative to bitchy to and you're suddenly going, you're not going to be right for the business. So we've crafted questions around each values fit to go kind of as deep as we can on their actual their actual value set. That's, yeah, so interesting and slightly daunting as well. Just <laughs> thinking what my family would say about me and former colleagues um but can can you talk about a, a hire that sort of you know happened you know through serendipity or something that was that was kind of unlikely because that's often where the the best people particularly in the early days come from right that's a really hard question for me actually because obviously most people we've hired through the dots i think when i think about it i think where i've been like really surprised through serendipity is where someone's turned up for an interview at the dots and i've recognized them um and this has happened like with three of my team actually and the reason being is I've seen them at a talk or actually uh, Kathy, who started as an intern for us and now is in the product team, actually joined the dots and sent me a lovely message about how much she loved the dots. And I think what why that's so amazing is you suddenly realize they're a a go-getter and passionate about our industry if they're at the Mm -hmm. same event as me or they're passionate about my product. Um, So that's always meant that people are more likely to secure jobs. And if I look back at my MTV days, um, one of the most kind of serendipitous hire, and it just came through a job post, is actually the guy who applied for the job tracked down 
a friend of a friend who knew someone at MTV. It was like three degrees of separation. So I was at MTV. He literally asked everyone he knew, do you know anyone at MTV? No one did, but someone down the tracks that I do. And I actually asked for a meeting with someone in the in the office to get advice about the interview coming up. And obviously it then came back to me that this go-getter had bothered to make and track down this person to get advice. And obviously I got gave him the job. So I'm always looking for that driven person who goes above and beyond. Yeah. Um, the extra mile. That extra mile, definitely. Amazing. So we're coming to our sort of final section, which I think is a bit more sort of lighthearted, trying to be anyway. Um, and the sort of first question that I have in this section is about ducking disasters, right? We've all done the autocorrect uh, mistake. Um, can you think of a time when you tried something that just completely failed and you just thought we're not doing that again? but you were glad about it because you learned from the experience. Oh my gosh. I fail all the time. <laughs> I mean, it's the journey of entrepreneurs. Like it is a complete endless roller coaster ride. I mean, we're having to learn all the time. I mean, the reality is every great tech product in history is, you know, 95% failure and 5% success. All we do to build our product is test things and most of them fail. And it, when you go to the dots, Everything you see there is the things that have succeeded. I mean, there's been massive clangers. I'm I'm very dyslexic. Um, so I actually have had to put on my email signature, uh, delightfully dyslexic excuse typos, because I've just sent some horrific clangers in terms of emails. Um, fun fact for anyone who's listening on, on this right now is 35% of entrepreneurs are dyslexic and 40% of self-made millionaires. So uh, Anita Broderick, Joe Malone, Holly Tucker, Steve Jobs was dyslexic and autistic. So congratulations, it's a superpower. <laughs> but... I've had disasters. So um, actually, one of them was back when I was working for the government. I used to do economic reports for David Blunkett, um, mm. who uh, is an amazing politician. Mm. He's also blind. So those reports used to go up to the Braillist and then on to David. And I was working on an algorithm basically measuring drug harm. Uh, in the country. And I wrote, oh, we need to eradicate all dr problematic drug users in this report. And I misspelled eradicate and I spelt it irradiate. <laughs> um, I think the learning from all of that is I'm never afraid to say sorry. Mm -hmm. I always, because of my dyslexia, I've always had to be open about my weaknesses because there are massive strengths to being dyslexic and there are weaknesses you know my reading speed is slow I do misspell things but being open about that from the get-go has really meant that people are more open in my organization about their various skills or weaknesses fascinating to a not so kind of interesting observation what's the most boring or mundane job that you've ever had to do I would say okay so um during school I used to do uh, night shifts at Tesco's so I basically worked out that I could pay I could make more money if I did a night shift than a day shift so I used to work in the truckers camp canteen so yeah. I used to make the sandwiches for the truckers that came in overnight and yeah literally all I do for like eight hours flat is make sandwiches um, for eight hours flat, but I earn a shitload of money, so it was fine. Um, so yeah, it was definitely night shift making sandwiches, very mundane. Beginnings of an entrepreneur, though. Is there a particular book? It doesn't have to be a business book, but is there a book in the last sort of year, couple of years that's really struck with you that's really helped and 
guided you on your way? Yeah, so I'm a massive reader, which is hilarious because I'm dyslexic, but I I don't actually read physical books because I find that really challenging. But I I literally devour at least a book a week um, via Audible. So wherever I walk or whenever I'm doing exercise, I'm, I'm listening to Audible. So I guess for if you're thinking about going down the entrepreneurial journey, I love the hard things mm-hmm. about hard things. Um, I think it's that kind of Bible for every entrepreneur to read because it really does give you the uh, warts and all story of what it's like to build and scale businesses but obviously I'm really fascinated by the future of work as well so I love Emma Gannon's like multi-hyphen method and anything that really is touching on on that sort of subject but I'm also obsessed with happiness as a concept I think um, what I really don't like about things like LinkedIn is that it feels like, you know, to derive happiness, it's just about pay. And that's not correct. It is about loads of other things. So I read a lot on happiness. Um, I love a book called A Year of Living Danishly, which is totally random, but it's about um, Denmark is like the happiest nation in the world. It's really thinking and digesting why that is and looking at our lives um, on that level. Brilliant. Well, look, Pip, thanks so much for that. It's been wonderfully insightful to get all your thoughts on where jobs of the future are coming from, the way that kind of careers are changing and that you can be a, a slashy, which does sound really aggressive, <laughs> I must say. But I think multi-hyphen. 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 Uh, is, a, is a brilliant way of putting it. Um, and yeah, so thank you so much for that. And we look forward to chatting again soon. Brilliant. That was a very insightful half an hour with Pip from the dots if i was summing that up to the pm i would probably write something along the lines of the following prime minister this week we met with a fascinating company which is creating the modern day rails for the creative economy and more broadly what they term no collar workers it has half a million members on the platform 40 percent of whom are freelancers they are predominantly coming together to work on creative side projects And they are seeing a surge of freelancers as people pursue side projects, partly as a result of the pandemic. There are also 10,000 companies on the platform using it to hire people. Unsurprisingly, in the last few months, they have seen competition for applications increasing across the board. But equally, there has been a rise of remote working applications and opportunities, which is leading to a democratisation for those not living in metropolitan hubs. We heard a similar theme from Hayden Wood at Bulb last week. They are seeing an increase of the multidisciplinary individual, sometimes referred to as a T-shaped skill set or even colloquially as a slashy. Furthermore, they are seeing the rise of skill swappers, a trend where people are trading their time and skills in exchange for being taught skills in other areas. For example, an accountant or lawyer may offer their time to a startup project in exchange for learning about more creative design and vice versa. They are seeing this increase at around 50% month on month. It is 25 times higher than what it was last year. When building the dots, Pip referred to the four golden skills of product, which are management, engineering, design and data. They have even upskilled interns in these areas who are now full team members. Technology firms are increasing their hiring on the platform but not just in technical skills such as engineering. They are also seeing a significant rise in the number of copywriters and producers, for example. Even in technical roles, the importance of creativity is becoming more important, and this is a trend the dots are likely to see increasing until quantum technology comes in. 
I may provide a separate note on quantum technology that would be written by someone with far more PhDs, although I am hoping that we will get a guest on at some point to talk about the impact of quantum computing soon, because it is truly mind-boggling. On General Careers Council, I thought Pip's concept of a portfolio of mentors was thought-provoking. There is no one person who can solve everything, words that I am sure ring true for all of us. It is worth noting how Pip went about building this group of mentors, initially approaching female founders first, and then approaching men who had daughters. With Pip herself now getting up to 60 requests a week, it is worth spending a bit of time about how you might pitch yourself to someone in this situation. Think, have they written an article or a blog post which would allow you to provide a hook into them? It doesn't matter how humble someone is, Everyone likes to be flattered and know that their work is being read and appreciated. Also, the fact Pip advocates the practical usefulness of a coach. As someone who is able to spot patterns, we are used to seeing coaches for sports teams, but it is not something as common in the business world yet. I touched on my article in The Times, which looked at Bill Campbell, the man who was known as the trillion dollar coach, for his work with founders of Google, Apple and senior executives at Facebook. I was struck by how the dot screens for values ahead of skills first. It is commonplace to talk about company culture being important. Plenty of companies do that, but how many of them put it front and centre of their hiring process? A couple of other reflections Pitt mentioned which struck a chord with me. Dyslexia is a common trait amongst entrepreneurs, and that can be your biggest weakness as well as your greatest strength. I'm sure we can all think of strengths we have had at times that have also become weaknesses. Also, Pip's imploring statements get on with entrepreneurship and ideas more broadly getting over the fear of starting. I have sat on this podcast idea for quite some time. There were dozens of reasons not to do it. How would I edit it? How could I record it? When should I launch it? Even the night before I launched it last week, I still thought to myself, is this really a good idea? Is anyone actually going to listen? Starting anything new always opens up vulnerabilities, but if you never do, you'll never know. Many of you have sent lovely messages following the first episode, which I was very grateful for. And after just 48 hours of the first episode going live, we managed to enter the top 20 business podcasts on Apple. That is because many of you shared us, even gave us a rating on iTunes. So as every podcast asks, please do leave a rating on iTunes, as it means more people have a chance to discover what the future of jobs looks like. Also, please share us on social media. It means a great deal. Thank you in particular to Danny Finkelstein, Alex the Pledge, Debbie Waskow and Henry DeZoot and the many others of you that shared it. I'm just starting out, so I know it won't be perfect, so please do send feedback and guest ideas. Feel free to reach out on Twitter to me, at Jimmy M. And if you want to hear Pip and I talk some more, we are appearing on the Squiggly Careers podcast with the best-selling Sunday Times author, Sarah Ellis. That episode comes out on Tuesday, November the 3rd, or on the day of the US election, because that is the way that my brain remembers things. Thank you for listening. Our next guest is Catherine Parsons, MBE from Decoded, which is a company which looks to educate people in data for large corporates and much more. Thanks very much for listening. Mm-hmm.